You've got people, very smart people in very prestigious positions, making these decisions, thinking about these things, looking at the, the chessboard that is, you know, the, the security complex inside the U.S. government, inside of nuclear power generation, and making sure that we put the right people, the right resources, uh, and the right funding in the places that we need it so that we can protect these assets. Yeah, absolutely. Hey everyone, Mike Witt here with Contact Industries, and we are on episode 22 of Complacency Kills. And today we'll be talking about securing critical infrastructure and what that means and what's involved with it. Uh, so today we have myself, Mike Witt, and Pete Peterson. So Pete, if you want to introduce yourself to those that have met you before. Hey, absolutely. Uh, Pete Peterson, retired Marine Raider, uh, currently the National Account Manager uh, for Critical Infrastructure here at Contact Industries. I predominantly work in the markets for Department of Energy and nuclear power generation. Awesome. Yeah. So... Here at Contech, as you guys know, we pro well, we do a lot of work with critical infrastructure, particularly within nuclear power facilities and uh, Department of Energy facilities. Um, but the critical infrastructure space is obviously it's a, it's a lot bigger than than mm -hmm. just those two markets, right? We have everything from you know your your transportation sector, chemical sector, um, and the list kind of goes on from there. And really, the the level of safeguards that's built into those sectors. Um, dependent on what's at stake what assets they have mm -hmm. uh obviously the 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 security postures kind of you know commensurate yeah. with what's what's threat thresholds you know, yeah uh drive resources right. and spending right yeah so so with that being said i mean can you kind of walk us through um you know you don't have to necessarily do all of them but some of the major sectors within critical infrastructure and what like their secure like what a typical security posture would look like going from a substation all the way up to you know, one of the you know highest performing nuclear plants in the in the country. Yeah, I, I can chop it up a little bit. Um, you know, there's depending on what website you go to or what government agency. You know, there's there's a couple uh, that overlap, but there, there's usually I think the 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 standard or what people talk about is about 16 different sectors inside of critical infrastructure. We we can support all of them, but some of them don't require the physical security you know requirements that others do. Uh, the ones that I'll talk about today are going to be kind of more specific to what contact you know, sees and what we deal with uh, for the most part. And, and like you said, you know, smaller to higher end uh, physical security requirements. So you've got the power substations, um, which, you know, right now are, are I don't want to say they're not very well protected, but they have fences. They're there more to keep people out than actually physically stop folks, right? Chain link fence, a gate, uh, maybe some guardrails, some signage, um, not much more than that. We have the ability to provide you know, uh, blocks, you know, and a mixture of delay features related to f physical security uh, type of fencing or fence panels uh, that really do mitigate the ability for you to, you know, make entry into some of these substations. They are moving towards those types of uh, higher uh, echelon or uh, more physical deterrence than what they currently have. So uh, that's what we're seeing across power distribution. Then you can move into like, uh, I would say lower end or lower threat threshold uh, government facilities. You know, uh, we may have portions of military facilities that are satellite to larger bases that don't require the same physical security that maybe certain secure areas do on base. You know, where you're storing munitions, you're gonna want a larger, uh, more robust fence, surveillance systems, intrusion detection potentially, whereas maybe the outline or perimeter fence uh, you're going to have a roving patrol that supports, you know, the physical security deterrence, which is your fence and gates. And then you have a gate guard or guard uh, or sentry system that allows you to kind of observe and, and control access in and out of the site, along with some surveillance and IDS, depending on, you know, where you're at, at a minimum, maybe at the entry and exit points. And then moving into what I would consider, and I just tried to lump these into kind of high or low, medium, high, um, as far as, uh, you know, the threat thresholds. And then you have 
you know, like special nuclear material production facilities or category one facilities or Department of Energy facilities where they're uh, working on or constructing or uh, storing uh, nuclear weapon systems, uh, similar to maybe an Air Force base that has those same assets. Sure. Uh, those require a higher threshold or a higher uh, threat threshold. And, and they have to be able to defend against something that's a little more significant because the criminal or adversary threat uh, is balanced also against, I didn't mention this earlier, the higher consequence, right? right? Somebody breaks into certain facilities, there's nothing for them to really take other than material assets that can be recovered through insurance or they're just, it's theft, people are gonna resell them. Right. There's no direct damage to the public where special nuclear material, nuclear weapon systems, weapons components, uh, or nuclear power generation, some of the chemicals and other things that are on site could have significant consequence, you know, uh, out in in uh, the public, uh, or be deemed, you know, harmful to the public if if not transported correctly or used, you know, by a criminal threat or an adversarial threat. So those back to the DOE facilities or maybe special nuclear material category one type facilities, they're going to have uh, a a uh, you know a large uh, owner controlled area an OCA kind of a space leading up to where the perimeter fence is. Then you have the fencing, maybe some block systems, a serpentine, an entry control point that control point's going to have uh, obviously physical security sentries you know response force capability uh, they're going to have signage along with you know i think i mentioned intrusion detection and surveillance capability and then there's also going to be along that perimeter surveillance capability and then once you get inside uh, there'll be a lot of you know tactics techniques and procedures and access control features badging you know check-in if you're not from the site uh, and a variety of other physical deterrents on your way into what we'll control maybe more controlled areas right or or protected areas areas where there's material being stored or hazardous or harmful uh, to the public type material that requires special access or special clothing, whatever it is, they're going to create delays and mitigation features inside of that to make sure that they uh, don't allow, you know, both regular people on site yeah. from accidentally getting into these spaces or someone who has, you know, a criminal uh, you know, as a criminal threat or an adversarial threat, allowing them to have access to it too. So they want to deny visibility as well as physical uh, uh, mitigation through fencing and delay features like blocks and, and uh, intrusion detection. So like one of the big delineators I feel like is um, between these sectors that is kind of the, the, the crossing threshold for low, you know, we'll call low to medium security up to mm -hmm. high, uh, you know, high standard of security um, is having personnel mm -hmm. physically there. And then even one step further, which is having armed responders yeah, that yeah. are there. Um, so, you know, something that we see right now um, kind of moving potentially into the power distribution space is having more armed uh, armed and unarmed personnel mm -hmm. uh, actually stationed at a lot of these, um, you know, larger substations and mm -hmm. that sort of thing. So um, do you have any thoughts on, on if and when and how that's going to occur? You know, I think, uh, you know, we have a government agency for everything in the United States, which is uh, which is good. They've got, you know, some oversight and they can take trends and translate that into policy procedure and or legislation if it's required. And so NERC and FERC, which are, you know, essentially some of the convenient authorities over that type, those types of uh, things and drive, you know, some of the physical security requirements. Uh, I understand that they're definitively doing a review, you know, as, as we speak based on, you know, 
the threat having increased. You know, we've had a lot of attacks, substations specifically, over the last several years and in the last two decades, quite frankly, uh, that have really brought a significant amount of attention to the power distribution sites not being as secure as they probably need to be. It, it's unfortunate, but the reality is the threat has changed and people are taking advantage of the information that's available open source on the internet. And they're able to kind of generally figure out how to defeat certain things or disrupt uh, certain parts of uh, civil, civil, you know, civilian society uh, through things like you know uh, taking out uh, critical components of a power substation that then creates a lot of issues for state and local government, even the federal government, costs a lot of money and time. And depending on what your t intent is, criminal or adversarial or you know whatever, it doesn't matter. You're still interfering with you know uh, people's lives and and costing the state and these power providers a significant amount of money and and we don't want our infrastructure having that type of critical vulnerability so now that's been identified i think there's a lot of energy and effort uh, in the security industry to kind of figure out what the next steps are to 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 make it you know meet the threat and and mitigate it uh, but also, you know, look to the future and be progressive in, in, hey, we put these things in place now. There's a cost associated with it. There's a significant amount of effort and energy that's going to get put into this. Let's, you know, make sure that it's worthwhile. So I do think by the end of the year, early next year, we're going to start seeing some changes to the fiscal security requirements across power distribution sites, depending on their assessment, right? There's some that are small that aren't going to have a huge impact on the grid. There's others that are much larger uh, or even smaller, but they're a critical piece of a much larger uh, part of the, the national grid. And so based on those assessments, which are occurring, you know, I think now uh, and have occurred previously and are shelved, they're going to be reviewing all that information and making determinations on what they need to protect, how they need to protect it, and uh, when the implementation of that protection will occur. Right. And, and um, kind of going in that direction, one of the questions I have is, you know, we see a common thread of, uh, especially in the security space, mm -hmm. especially in the private, pretty much anything outside of law enforcement to an extent and DOD is um, security or physical, you know, especially physical security is something that's like, it's it's often put to the wayside and is very reactionary based. Yeah. Um, are you aware of any um, any utilities uh, in the critical, you know, in the critical infrastructure space that, that kind of go above and beyond what, in terms of, because you know, my experience working in this industry has been that it's it's very just pushed by regulation. If mm -hmm. it's not regulated, they're not going to invest. Um, but you know, I'm just curious. You know, have you had any experience with with any uh, you know groups or entities that you've worked with in your previous life that that would step up and go above and beyond? And how do we change that? Yeah. No, that's a, that's a good question. And I think I think really across nuclear power generation, it just depends on the fleet. You know, you've got larger fleets that have diversified energy. You know, they're, they're doing, you know, a couple different things, not just nuclear. And they have the ability to kind of flex at a corporate level uh, funding to support larger scale projects more frequently uh, that allow for, I would say, a streamlined security process. And by that, I mean, they have the ability to go, all right, all of our sites are going to have this fencing, this, these types of entry control points, these types of cameras, and they can kind of either systematically or across the entire fleet uh, project that uh, you know, um, vision and then actually have it come to fruition. Right. And so larger entities in the nuclear industry, I've seen definitely act 
uh, more proactive or, or, or they're very well versed. You know, they understand that, hey, this is going to be regulation soon or this is going to be policy. You know, you look at pre 9-11, you look at post 9-11. The nuclear industry is a great example of what's changed in yeah. the physical security environment, you know, over the course of 20 years. Where they're at now uh, and where they were then, they're much more capable and able to uh, both progressively look forward and go, all right, this is a threat that's probably coming and is eminent and proactive versus pre 9-11 where it was whatever the minimum you know, or bare minimum is, that's all that we're required to do because there was really no metric or, you know, previous threat that was beyond criminal that they had to really worry about. Yes, nuclear material, used nuclear material, fuel rods, they've always been a concern, uh, but there's always been security on those, both physical and, and, and observation surveillance, as well as, you know, response force capability. So uh, the U.S. government's been good at legislating that from, from that perspective. But in general, all of these sites are much more secure than they were, not saying that they weren't uh, pre 9-11, they're just better now. It's like anything else, right? You want to be progressive. Um, so they're a good example of that. In other industries, uh, you know, or other entities or organizations like the DOE Enterprise or the federal government, they're like a ship sometimes, you know. Sometimes the, the, the smaller ships in the Navy can can move and are, you know, they can make a turn, a 90 degree turn much easier than, you know, uh, an aircraft carrier. And so right. when they're when they're coming around, that's a two mile turn for certain organizations. So something large like the DOE may have the funding to implement something, but it may take several years years to get it across the entire enterprise. Same right. with the federal government. So uh, I would say that they're good at at following the regulation, good at legislating it, uh, implementing it really, you know, to your point and to the question, uh, really just depends on, I think, the desire. Security, it's not so much that it's an afterthought. It's not profit generating. Mm -hmm. You know, in the U.S. government, it's it's taxpayer dollars that that drive spending. So and and the threat is usually higher, right? They're producing nuclear weapons, protecting nuclear weapons. Those things require security. We understand that there's a huge threat if they were to get into the you know the public domain. Uh, there's a lot of effort and energy to regulate that. Uh, which nuclear power generation, nobody wants a radiological release, but there's a lot of control features. Uh, and and it would take a significantly sophisticated criminal or adversarial threat to uh, to to do that. So uh, they always try to balance the realities of the threat, you know, and make them parallel to what they're actually doing, right? right. Um, you know, I you see fences that are you know taller or shorter based on what they think you know the criminal or adversarial threat is. Yeah. Um, but yes, I think that there is movement for some some industries and some organizations uh, and and some are slower based on if you're a smaller, you know, single reactor plant, you may not be as quick or have the same desire to spend your money in that way unless regulated to do so and vice versa inside DOE. Some of the sites that aren't as critical to the, the weapons complex may not get the priority. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. You've got people, very smart people in very prestigious positions, making these decisions, thinking about these things, looking at the, the chessboard that is, you know, the, the security complex inside a U.S. government, inside a nuclear power generation, and making sure that we put the right people, the right resources, uh, and the right funding in the places that we need it so that we can protect these assets. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I guess my point with all that is that you know, especially for these certain sectors within critical infrastructure is that, you know, it, it took a 9-11 to kind of implement yeah. in, a, in, a, in a reactionary fashion. So I, I would just, you know, I, I think the general American public, like we don't want to have to rely on another catastrophic event I to agree. impact things in power distribution or mm -hmm. water distribution yeah. and things of that nature. So, um, yeah, it's just always an interesting conversation is how do we get out of the cyclical reactionary yeah. when it comes to security? And I don't know if there's a good answer for it other yeah. than, um, having a lot of buy-in from your entire, you know, organization yeah. and 
doing your own risk analysis. I, yeah, I. Of what's at stake? I like to think. Um, I should say, I like to think based on my experience, both in the military and and, and since I've retired. There's a lot of smart people in a, in a lot of, of uh, good positions that they're responsible for making these assessments. Nothing's perfect. You know, um, we had a lot of, of failings, you know, since this country has started to right now, but we've also got a lot of successes, right, for every sure. failure. So you've got to measure, you know, you, you know what you know, you do the best that you can in the moment that you're in with the resources that you have. And I think for the industries that we serve, I see a lot of that regularly, people with good intentions, using the resources that they have available to make the best decisions. But you're right, uh, and I think this is why widespread across a variety of industries. This is not just the United States. This is international in scope. It's very easy to respond after something's happened and have the funding and resources and education pushed after the fact than sometimes it is, you yeah, know, to sell. Yeah, prior to. It's very hard to say, well, this is this is bad if it would happen. And then you've got all, you know, people on one side. Well, it could but did it? Do we have it? Is it been operationally executed, you know, out in the world somewhere where we can say bad guys are doing this? Or, sure. you know, has it happened here where we can we can reference something specific? You know, nuclear power plants haven't been attacked. They've had a few instances here and there with people, you know, criminal activity or protesters, but they haven't had a directed, you know, criminal or uh, adversarial threat against a site in, in since the inception of nuclear power generation. So it's sometimes hard to sell corporate leadership on it's a cost of doing business you know, versus, well, we can minimize this because we don't really need it. There's been nothing that states that this threat is as high as, you know, the government and these legislative bodies and these governing bodies and regulatory bodies say they are. And the reality is nobody wants to be left holding, you know, the, the I say holding the bag, you know, of, oh, we could have put a fence up, but we didn't. And now we have a weapon system that's out in the public domain. Now we have, you know, uh, nuclear material that's giving, you know, potentially could be used for radiological release. You want to make sure that those things are are minimized and mitigated and that access to those things is denied to the best level you can with the resources that you have based on the threat that you've been presented with. For sure. Cool. Yeah. And, um, you know, in the future, we'll be doing more podcasts and more information sharing on, you know, again, going through both the overt and covert levels of physical security, physical security in and of itself, um, kind of separating that out between, um, you know, fencing guard booths, that sort of thing mm-hmm. uh, over to the, you know, the more, you know, the cyber side, you know, with surveillance and intrusion detection and that sort of thing. So we'll be doing more content uh, in the future, but uh, it's good to have you on, man. Absolutely. And I appreciate it. Fun. Thanks and, for your time. Uh, we'll catch you guys uh, next month for episode 23. Absolutely. Take Bye. care. Bye. <laughs>